To really see Europe, go when others don't and fly there with Aer Lingus. Our European sale is full of amazing off-season deals to over 20 European cities like Paris, London, Amsterdam and Dublin. Book today at aerlingus.com. And now for an inside look at college sports with the men in the know, J.C. and Morgan. Here's Mike Morgan and J.C. Sherbert. It is time for another J.C. and Morgan podcast. You know it, you love it, you clamor it this time of year because we're talking about things that uh, you love and can't wait to get to, and that is the start of the college football season, which is right around the corner. Kind of, sort of. It's not really, but it makes you feel good to say that. You still got like a never-ending month of nothing. But still, we got SEC Media Days to talk about. He's J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports. I'm Mike Morgan of ESPN and the SEC Network. (laughs) I was reading some tweets the other day, J.C., and uh, got a young man uh, out there whose dad, Pete, is an avid listener to the podcast. And uh, the the son, he's trying to teach him early. You know, the kid's, kid's only like four, five, six years old, and he's already like, Dad, why are we listening to two people talk in the car instead of music? Because it's good parenting. That's what I tell that young man. That's good parenting. Get your get your sons and daughters ready early to expand their horizons and not just perform a ritual of, well, I'm in the car. I got to listen to music. No, you don't. I hardly ever listen to music in my car, JC, because I listen to a ton of talk radio and I, now I've become a podcast addict. Uh, I listen to a lot of podcasts when we're not recording one. So that's, that's, that gentleman deserves kudos for good parenting, and I hope uh, many and several follow in his ways. How are you, sir? I'm good. Um, I'm kind of a music guy when I drive, to be honest. Yeah, I, I, I can kinda, see that. I kind of dig that, um, but I do listen to a lot of podcasts and talk radio and things of that nature, you know, um, if I'm on a long trip, podcasts are money because yeah. you listen to an hour, you're an hour down the road. You know, if you're going from here to, let's say, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, it's about a six-hour drive. You listen to six episodes of your favorite podcast, and you're there, or six different podcast episodes, and you're there. So I think that's pretty good. But, yeah, I know people, they listen to podcasts at the gym, uh, when they're jogging, when they're at work, you know, doing busy work or whatever. So, the podcast audience is very diverse. I don't I don't care how they listen to it as long as they listen. And uh, certainly people uh, are enjoying this one and, and the other college football podcast this time of year. It's just an easy way to kill an hour, hour and a half. And I say kill. I don't mean like what you're listening to is worthless. I certainly wouldn't say that about what we do here or the, the other podcasts that I listen to. But it makes the time go quicker and you're more of a music guy i'm more of a movie guy or netflix guy i've always said people have to make that tough choice there's like a fork in the road in life where you have to become one or the other and i i music yeah when i'm at the gym sometimes that'll get me going but other than that i i'd rather i need to be i need some visual stimulation or if it's audio I need some intellectual stimulation. Music doesn't really fit those bills. For f- music like chills me out, uh, but sometimes a podcast can do that too. Hopefully, we're chilling people out as we listen to this. By the way, I was not chill yesterday, so I, I get asked this a lot. Like, like, how do you and JC do that thing? Do you guys get together in a studio? Um, no. The answer, while we both have uh, 
radio backgrounds where we we used to do a lot of sports talk in studios where there's you know three four microphones set up you're in the same room you're looking at each other and uh you know you're running the show and you're punching up callers and all that good stuff because of today's technology we can do this thing i I could be in singapore and jc could be in bali uh, which I think, JC, that'd be a good fit for you. Actually, Bali be a good location. Eat, pray, uh, love, baby. Yes, uh, <laughs> but we could do that via Skype, and so I, I always feel like we're not trying to fool the audience, but we are tricking the audience into making it sound like this is this is a high level production. It's not. We're both on laptops recording into a microphone that we're holding up. Well, in my case, I'm holding it up. JC's got one of those swanky <laughs> uh, remote-type deals. I can't hear myself in my earphones. That's the one uh, thing that's very unusual to me because everything I do in radio and TV, I've always been able to hear kind of the net return to listen to myself, so that's a little tricky. But we, you have to have an operating um, computer to do this to set all this up so my laptop crashes uh, a couple days ago Uh, i went on a mission trip in honduras which i could do a whole podcast on that but i won't and um so and i left it behind because you know as i was told you want to be careful about what possessions you bring there so i didn't bring the laptop and it's a surface book pro or whatever because i'm not an apple guy and i apologize to those of you who are apple fanatics <laughs> and think that anybody who doesn't use an iphone or a macbook air which i used to use uh that we're all just uh subordinates that don't know any better i i'm i'm not conforming to that i'm a droid guy and i am uh back to being a, a windows guy but anyway the this is hardly a windows promotion because the the laptop crashes it, it just doesn't turn on. So I it sat there for a week. I come back, doesn't turn on. I take it. Atlanta has the Lenox Mall, which is one of the few malls in the country that has both an Apple store and a Windows store where you can walk in and presumably have all your problems solved with trained professionals. Because this is all they do. It's not like Best Buy where they have a thousand different items from uh, computers to washing machines. This is all they do. So I go, the Apple store has got like 100 people in it and a line out the door, and you got to make an appointment days in advance to even have them look at your device. The Windows store, which is on the other end of the mall, has like six people in there and six different techs that are just kind of punching a clock <laughs> and, and making 10 bucks an hour uh, or whatever it is. And uh, and you walk in there and you're thinking, well, this is good because Windows is not as popular as Apple. I'm going to get supreme customer service. And I walk in there and I show them the device and I get these blank stares like, well, yeah, it's, it's just not turning on. I, I understand that. But can you check the battery? Can you? Oh, no, we don't do that here. <laughs> so I go to I go to a, a third party and they're like, yeah, it's it's fried, Mike. It's just sometimes these things happen. They won't turn on. And then I go back and then there was a whole question about the original price they quoted me. Well, oh, well, since you had it opened by a third party tech, which they told me to do now, we can't give you the out of warranty discount. Uh, so a whole ordeal. Oh, man. Oh, it was just complete a complete attempted screw job. And, and the Windows Store, like not a third. Not, this is not like again Best Buy or something. 
you, these people ought to be happy to have some Windows people left. <laughs> There's five people in the store. And they're just like, yeah, man, I, I don't know what to say. Like, you're screwed. So eventually I found one helpful person, thankfully. And I, uh, I, I walked away with a new computer. I had to pay the whatever post-warranty price. But I'm talking on a brand new surface book six jc so this podcast is going to be if nothing else technologically better than ever on this end because uh this is supposed to be i don't know faster or whatever that's what i paid for so all that being said i've been an apple user for about 10 years now so i I just can't relate but i can relate to atlanta customer service because quite frankly this city if there was one thing that uh, I would have a across-the-board criticism for in Atlanta, it is customer service. Those of you that have been through Hartsfield-Jackson International Airport, and I can't imagine yeah. a person alive that hasn't, huh. you know what I'm talking about. That's just the tip of the iceberg. So, yeah, they, uh, welcome, they to from, welcome to Atlanta. Welcome to You're If you're going to a mall, if you're going to the airport, uh, some fast food chains, not Chick-fil-A, you're going to get some really interesting customer service <laughs> from some people that really very often have no passion or pride in their work. And so you are going to, you are going to deal with that. That's just the price of doing business sometimes. So, all right. With that, all that being said, SEC media days where the service is great. Now you and I have been to this a number of times. And, uh, as someone who used to host a sports talk show for nearly 15 years. This was like the big deal because if you're toasting a, a sports talk show in the summer, you're fighting to kill three hours. Okay. Mm-hmm. You are fighting for material and hopefully you're in a market that college baseball actually matters and is relevant. And that can at least get you from the end of basketball to June, but then you're really struggling for material. And there's only so many magazines you can go over and regurgitate polls or my favorite this is the this is the wave the white flag if you are a sports talk show host and you have already uh, subjected your audience to the following let's talk about local team x let's go through the 12 game schedule and let's predict win loss on each game if you've already done that and you haven't even hit late july you need to evolve okay you <laughs> You need to come up. I realize the phone the phone lines are not blinking like they normally do, but you got to find something else. You got it. You got to be a little more stimulating than that. So the SEC media days would always come at a time on the calendar where you're like, thank goodness, you go out to Birmingham. And when I first started going, by the way, it was an entirely different setup. I remember doing a show with Tony Barnhart in Atlanta a few years ago, and we were reminiscing. And Tony's been to more of these things than anybody on the planet. Uh, when I first started going, it was late 90s. It wasn't even at the what's now the Hyatt was the Winfrey. It was at like the Birmingham Sheridan. And there was like 12 people that showed up. And you, you got a free round of golf because they were just they were truly happy to have you there because most people weren't really enthralled about going to Birmingham to just sit and get sound bites, um, uh, particularly when you can get sound bites from your local team locally. So they would go above and beyond, much like the ACC does now, to get you out there. And then it evolved. Then they moved to the the Winfrey, and then they had what's called Radio Row, and you'd have like 
10 stations. Remember, Bill King would always be the guy. Look, when everybody else, you know, was folding up the equipment at like 7 p.m. Eastern time, there's Bill King and WLAC going like till 10 o'clock Eastern time back in, in the volunteer state talking recruiting. Uh, and he was always the last one to pack up his gear and get the heck out of Dodge. Well, now, of course, as you know, there's like 40 stations fighting for the right to spend a gobs of money to get a spot on Radio Row. But here's how it's changed, JC. You used to have access. Like, I remember when you were on Radio Row, you could get at least a third of the coaches to come down and do an interview. So, I mean, I, I like Mark Richt, I'd always get Mark Richt, even though I was not doing radio. Well, for a time it was Columbus, but going back to South Carolina days, you could still get Mark Richt on. He's going to give you 10, 15 minutes, thanks to Claude Felton, their SID, and others. Whoever the Kentucky coach was, you were going to get him. Whoever the Vanderbilt coach was, you were going to get him. Tommy Tuberville, when he was at Auburn, automatic. He was going to go down radio. He would go down radio row the day before his actual uh, turn to go to the podium. And speak to all the stations. The only guy that does that now is Derek Mason of Vanderbilt. All these coaches now want to get in, get out. They'll talk to maybe one local station, and then that's it. So if you're on Radio Row, you better line up some guests that aren't coaches because most of the coaches, are, they don't want anything to do with you. Um, so that's how it's changed over time. We had it this year. It's As you and I are recording this, there's one more coach that's left to go, and that's Gus Malzahn, and we'll talk Auburn. But here's here's what stood out to me, JC, and then I'll get your uh, macro thoughts here. Jess, it's happening. Whoa, Tina, what are you doing in my car? Space is here now. No closet will be left behind. Did you say closet? Yes, the Container Store custom closets are up to 25% off. It doesn't matter the size or shape. Space is coming to them all. You're not serious. Space isn't a joke, Jess. How long do we have? Through October 13th. All right, buckle up. The Container Store Custom Closet Sale is here with up to 25% off all systems, including Alpha. The Container Store, where space comes from. We are in the SEC. We are living in an Alabama-Georgia world. And I know we would love to be able to give you like some really good dark horse stories, but there's just not. As I see it, and I know I'm not alone on this, I, I just, could, could LSU push in the West? Maybe. Could Florida push in the East? Maybe. But outside of that, it is a it's a two dog race and that's just that's just where we are. Georgia and Alabama there has the gap closed a little bit? Yeah, I think so. But I don't think there's gonna be much else to talk about in the way of who's gonna be meeting in Atlanta for the SEC championship game. I hope I'm wrong. I think we could use some fresh blood. And then the other storyline to me is, since we have a lack of drama as to who's going to win this thing, is we've got nine quarterbacks that spoke at the podium this week, meaning the SEC's got a lot of returning guys, meaning the SEC, a line of scrimmage league, that's never going to be outdone O-line, D-line, and typically not outdone in the way of skilled players in general. When the SEC has quality quarterback play, it's once again going to be top to bottom, the best league in college football so that's what i'm looking at in 2019 to go ultra macro to start yeah i remember in 2016 when uh the sec really you know started a bunch of freshmen and junior college transfers and things of that nature i mean you had jalen hurt starting at alabama as a true freshman um you had t- 
two guys starting in the conference by the end of the year in Austin Appleby and, uh, oh, the kid from LSU, Danny Etling. Yeah, uh, Etling and Appleby. <laughs> both Purdue transfers. Right. Okay. You know, Juco, got, he had a, had a grad transfer in night out at A&M. It was bad. Um, but the future was promising. Well, you know, the ACC that year had Mitch Trubisky, the number one overall player in the draft, Lamar Jackson, the Heisman Trophy winner, Deshaun Watson, who could have easily you made a, you could make an argument for both of those guys. You had DeAndre Francois down at Florida State. Um, Jared Evans was a one-year wonder at Virginia. Um, even Justin Thomas at Georgia Tech as an option quarterback was one of the best in the country uh, as far as being an option quarterback goes. That league was loaded with quarterbacks. Nathan Peterman at Pitt engineered an upset of Clemson and handed Clemson their only loss that year and was drafted in the fourth round. Mm-hmm. Started some games in the NFL. Used to be at Tennessee. Started his career at Tennessee. Didn't work out. Was terrible at Tennessee, actually. So, um, you know... In 2016, Clemson also won the national championship, and, and, and you could make an argument that was the best league in college football that particular year. Well, that's changed. With the ACC, I don't think anybody's sitting there, you know, looking at that like it's some deep competitive situation. Uh, it's kind of Clemson and the, the 13 Dwarves right now, and it, it'll, it, there's no end in sight over there. Um, but the SEC, when you look at the quarterbacks, there are some really good guys that are experienced that have played a lot in the league. You know, Tua Tagovailoa, Jake Fromm, obviously to start with. Uh, you know, the Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow, uh, down at LSU had a good year last year. Kellen Mond at A and M's really good. Arkansas has imported the starting quarterback from SMU that uh, Chad Morris uh, coached up over there. He graduated. Now he's joining Chad Morris. I mean, um, Mississippi state imported Tommy Stevens from Penn state, Penn state's backup uh, a couple of years ago. So the quarterback play is good in the league. And, and here's the thing about the sec East. Um, I don't see it as Florida challenging Georgia. I, I don't think that's going to happen. I, I I think Florida and Missouri were the two hype darlings, kind of like South Carolina was last year as far as, you know, who's going to challenge the Bulldogs in the SEC East. And keep in mind, the last two years, Georgia's gone, you know, six, 12-0 combined against the East, and they've had two games. Their two closest games have been by two touchdowns. Missouri at, on the road last year and South Carolina at home in 2017. And that's it. Nobody else has touched them in the division. And when you dig into the division, you know, I think there's a lot of people that want Florida and Tennessee to be back like it was in the 90s, but we've been hearing that for 10 years. Uh, Florida even won two straight division titles, and nobody considered them back because they fired their coach the very next season. Um, Florida cannot beat Missouri. Missouri cannot beat South Carolina. South Carolina cannot beat Kentucky. Kentucky cannot beat Tennessee, and Tennessee cannot beat Vanderbilt, and Vanderbilt cannot beat anybody but Tennessee. I mean, well said. I mean, you look at the East, that's just kind of it. It's Georgia, and then whoever else can kind of solve their bugaboo game <laughs> and then, then win the rest of their, their, their thing. Look, I, I look at Florida right now, Mike. Uh, I think Felipe Franks did get better. I think he's actually kind of getting into the system. They've got offensive line concerns. And in, in that system, you know, you're going to line up and run Franks or run LaMichael P. Ryan or Malik Davis or whoever else you got down there. 
Um, Pierce, the running back from Georgia, they recruited, who's pretty good. Um, you got to you got to block in this league. It's a line of scrimmage league. And I look and I see a guy like Tyree Cleveland and a guy like Van Jefferson um, out there. Kadarius Tony. You have playmakers on the perimeter. But, you know, is Felipe Franks going to be a consistent enough passer to get them the ball in a vertical passing situation, which is what those guys are? Tyree Cleveland's a deep ball threat. Um, you know, I've got questions. I've got questions about their defense. I think their secondary is good. They lost some depth back there. I think Todd Grantham is feast or famine. I think there's games where his defenses will shut you down completely. It's dominant. And then there's games where he gets lit up like a Christmas tree. And that just happens. That's, I've, I've seen his whole career. It's, it's just that way, whether that's at Georgia or Louisville or Mississippi State or wherever. So, um, you know, those are my questions about Florida. I will say this. If they beat Miami in game one, they've got kind of a favorable schedule, you know, to, to get rolling and get confident and all that good stuff. And I know expectations, as they are in Gator country, are out of the roof. The Missouri hype, I think, is based on three things. Number one – Missouri last year was pretty dang good. Missouri went, if you look at the regular season, now they did lose the Liberty Bowl and a shootout to Oklahoma State. But if you look at the regular season, Mike, Missouri was 8-4. and four. They lost on the last play of the game in a monsoon at South Carolina. They lost on the last play of the game in just an improbable victory for Kentucky at home. So last play of the game in those two losses. And then their other two losses were to Georgia and Bama. Other than that, they waxed Tennessee 50-17 to on the road. They waxed Missouri 38-17 on the road. And they, were, they played really solid football all year. So that's number one. Number two, the Kelly Bryant factor. I think people are looking at what Kelly Bryant did at Clemson where he had a, a good, talented, speedy, athletic, supporting cast and a great defense and thinking, well, this, this is a championship-winning quarterback. And, and that's true. That's factual. But and I think Missouri's got some nice parts. I love Roundtree. I, I always think they have good receivers. But is Kelly Bryant going to be able to, you know, duplicate that with, with the supporting cast he has at Missouri? And even if he does, you know, is their defense as good as that? It's not as good as that Clemson defense was in 2017 when they were really dominant on that side of the ball. And you know, Clemson was able to kind of run, get up, and then run the ball and, and win games. Is Missouri going to be able to do that? Um, and then number three, Missouri's schedule. Uh, after getting Alabama last year, <laughs> from the West, Missouri plays Ole Miss and Arkansas. Um, and they, they have West Virginia at home in the non-conference. West Virginia's rebuilding. Uh, they play South Carolina at home. If they get past the Gamecocks finally, and they've lost three straight in that series, and that'll be right after South Carolina plays Alabama. Um, if they win that one, their next three games, Mike, are Ole Miss, Vandy, and Kentucky. And then they have an open date, and then they go to Athens. So, so the talk about them and the hype, they could be undefeated going into Georgia, that's real simply because, you know, you look at it and they should, they should arguably be favored in every game they play. Now, they got a bowl ban. I, I have questions about them uh, as far as how good they really are. Um, my guess is they'll drop a couple you know, between the opener and Georgia. But, you know, I, I understand the Missouri high. But Florida and Missouri both seem to be kind of the darlings. Um, you know, Tennessee, I think when, when you look at them, you know, it, it, they've got some personnel in the secondary and also at wide receiver. And Garantano was very accurate and good with the ball last year. 
you know, South Carolina doesn't have a lot of expectations because of the schedule, but they do return a good team. And, and then there's Kentucky, who we think will take a step back in Vandy. So, so I think the East East teams that everybody's choosing to hype this year, you know, just kind of shows you that, that your premise going into the season is probably correct, that it's Georgia and everybody else. And in, in the West, I, I would feel the same way about Alabama. I mean, it's just – you know, I think it's just draw the draw the other six out of a hat and see where the chips fall um, with regards to the East this year. And then I'll talk about some questions I have about Georgia here in a second. Well, the one thing about Georgia and Alabama, those two teams, I think most people would tell you they've got the top two offensive lines in the SEC. So in addition to we know how well they recruit skilled players, we know they've got two of the top returning quarterbacks in the country that are going to be first-round draft picks. And they're certainly not lacking on defense uh, on either side. They also have the top two offensive lines. The number three offensive line might surprise people. There are a number of people, including Cole Kublik of the SEC Network, that'll tell you the third best offensive line in the league is Missouri. That's another reason to like Missouri is because they're they're not just uh, sexy at the skill positions and pedestrian on the line. They've got a ridiculously talented and deep and veteran offensive line, not to mention a tight end who's not afraid to block and get his nose dirty and Albert O who could very well be a first round draft pick as well. So you, if they get what they expect out of Kelly Bryant, uh, they got running backs, they got receivers. I mean, Larry Roundtree is certainly one of the better backs in the league. Jalen Knox, who was hurt a good part of last year. uh, You know, he can, take the cover off the defense and Albert O is, is your security blanket on third down uh, if you're Kelly Bryant. So there's a lot to like there. And I don't know if I'm in love with their defense, but that combined with, as you mentioned, that schedule, I mean, I don't know if there's a better path to eight and O for anybody in America, really Wyoming, West Virginia at home, Southeast Missouri, you get South Carolina at home, as you mentioned, coming off south carolina will be coming off alabama then you get to take a breather <laughs> september the 28th with a bye then you play troy then you play ole miss at vandy at kentucky another bye and then things get real at georgia florida tennessee at arkansas so yeah I, now if you were to give me eight no or the field i'll take the field I'm just I'm not that high on Missouri where I'm going to sit here and tell you, even though all those things are in their favor, they're going eight. No, but they certainly have a legit chance. And for that matter, even if they stub their toe in one of these games, they're seven and one. So, yeah, Missouri is deserves to be in the conversation up until the point. Do you say, OK, great, they're in the conversation. Are they a legitimate threat to Georgia? And the answer is no. OK, once once November 9th rolls around and they go between the hedges. The answer to me is an emphatic no. Uh, Florida, I'm still not a Felipe Franks guy. I I could be wrong. I get it. Dan Mullen is the perfect fit for that guy. He gained confidence last year. Um, but at some point, now they are the hunted. They're not the feel-good story anymore. Um, and, and they got 10 wins last year. Heck, if they didn't spit the bit at home against Kentucky, they could have had 11 but I, I, I think Florida's on the move up. I think a lot of these programs in the East are on the move up. 
but they're not where Georgia is. They're not going to be there this year. So to me, Georgia is a fairly easy pick to go back to Atlanta again. But what I find encouraging about the East, and I know, JC, you say uh, cynically uh, that we've been hearing about Florida and Tennessee on the move for a decade. That's true to some respect. But I never felt like Florida was that good when they won those two Eastern Division titles. That was an awful East. Mm-hmm. That was it. when Missouri won it twice, and quite frankly, when South Carolina rolled up eleven wins three years in a row, that was an awful Eastern Division. The the likes of which I don't think it's ever been that bad, and I don't think it's going to be that bad again. And I look at Florida on the way up. I look at Missouri stabilizing. Uh, you know, Barry Odom, who's one of those, and I'll talk about this later in the podcast. He's one of those good vibes hires. You know, I mean, he, he didn't have a, a, a proven track record as a head coach, and I'm not sure if he's going to be the guy for the job 10 years from now, but it made all the sense in the world to hire him, and he's an alum, and so he gives you good vibes, and he's he's got good coordinators now around him, it seems. So there's some stability back in Como, even though they got to figure out whether or not the NCAA is going to admit that they they did wrong by banning them from a bowl game over a rogue tutor years ago, which none of these players are even on the team. Um, if they if they do that, Missouri should be bowling and, and potentially a good bowl. I think uh, South Carolina is still in good shape under Will Muschamp. The schedule is so daunting that they're going to struggle to win six seven games. But I don't see that program going in the wrong direction at all. I mean, I I think. The program is on solid ground. I think Tennessee is on the way up. And then Kentucky wins 10 games a year ago. Are they going to do it again? Probably not. But Mark Stoops clearly has he has cracked the code for Kentucky. Okay? Uh, I don't care if they go 7-5 and five this year, 6-6. Six and six. He's still the guy. And they have found the best you can possibly do, in my opinion, at Kentucky. And then there's Derek Mason at Vanderbilt dancing, swagging after beating Tennessee and going six and seven, but you know, Derek, I think he gets it in terms of what you got to be at Vanderbilt and what you got to do. And he's selling and selling and, and I, I respect him for doing that. So I, I think the Eastern division is on the way up. I just don't think they're there at Georgia's level yet. Yeah. And yet though, I, I don't think you, you know, I don't know that you can anoint Georgia as the third best team in the country. I feel like Clemson and Alabama have pulled away from the field so much. And I know Georgia's played Alabama close the last couple of years, but they hadn't gotten it done. That people just don't know who to rank like three through 15 anymore. <laughs> it's just like, ah, Georgia, they've been close. All right. Um, and look, I, I think Kirby Smart getting them to the national championship game uh, with with that group that with a lot of good seniors that year was great. I thought last year, you know, I don't think anybody's touching them in the East anytime soon. They continue to recruit at a high level. Um, but what I'm looking for from them this year, Mike, and, and this is it about the SEC East, and, and no, nobody really talks about this, but it's the truth. It's a fact. There has not been a team – that has won three straight Eastern Division championships since the Florida Gators won it between 92 and 96 when Steve Spurrier was the head coach. 93. 93. They lost to 
lost to Bama in 92. Well, I mean, no, I'm, I'm talking about the East, the Eastern Division. Oh, just the Eastern yeah. Division. Yeah, okay. they, they won, gotcha. what, five straight, 93, 2, 93, 94, 95, 96. They won five. Right. They, won the, they won the first five. Right. Since and Tennessee then, won at 97. Tennessee won it two years in a row. Florida came back and won it two years in a row. Um, and then in 01, Tennessee won it again by upsetting Florida late. Um, 02 was Georgia. 03 was Georgia. And then – Tennessee and then Georgia and and it's gone back and forth. Even Urban Meyer, he won the East in two thousand six. Tennessee won it in 07. Urban won it in oh eight oh nine. Then the Gamecocks won it in twenty ten. Um, then then Georgia, then Georgia, then Missouri, then Missouri, then Florida, then Florida, then Georgia, then Georgia. And so I think that's you know you want to talk about a next step for Georgia. I don't know that it's going to be winning the national championship this year. I've seen some some hot takery come out of the Atlanta media uh, about that, but um, I don't think that's the, the 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 national championship or bust. I think winning the East for the third straight year and beating up on all your division opponents and keeping that you know that buffer within the division uh, will be positive because I mean winning the division in the SEC is is very very difficult. You can ask Nick Saban about that. He's had two years where he's won national championships and not won the SEC West. <laughs> I mean, you know, so you think about it like that, that that's very difficult, and, and it hadn't been done in 23 years. So if I'm Georgia, that I'm, I'm happy if I can get back to Atlanta or whatever. Here's what nobody's talking about with Georgia, though. There's three things, and, and I'm not – I think they're I think they're going to be fine – but you talk to some people that cover the program. You talk to some fans of the program that really keep up with it, that aren't just the, you know, we're going to win it all types. And there there are some question marks. Um, losing Jeremiah Holloman, their most proven returning receiver, uh, I think is big because you got to have a go-to guy. As you've talked about and accurately pointed out, Mike, you have to throw the ball these days in college football. Yeah. That's the bottom line. Um, you can't just line up and run it. Now, their backs are elite. Their offensive line's elite. Their quarterback's elite. Um, so that's my num- that would be my number one thing. My number two thing is there's talk that Georgia is not good on the defensive line. Now, mm-hmm. I have a theory on this. I think Georgia fans are concerned that they're not good on the defensive line because they have guys like Devontae Wyatt and Jordan Davis who are starting, who were not rated five stars. Uh, and I got news for you. DeAndre Baker was a three-star. You know, sometimes it just works out that way. Those guys are good players. I tend to think Trevon Walker, a five-star recruit, is going to come in and be freshman All-SEC, and nobody's going to be talking about Georgia's defensive line struggling. But if they do, and if these concerns are valid, I've never heard of a national championship team that is not good on the defensive line. I mean, what's the worst defensive team that's won it all in the last decade? Auburn in 2010? And they, last I checked, they had a pretty good defensive line. Well, they had a yeah. Juco kid who yeah. was a first-rounder for a reason. No doubt. He was a dominant player. So, you know, that, that there's there's no Nick case. Nick Fairley, by the way, is Nick Fairley, that's about. it. Yeah, there's no case study. Yeah, when, when Nick Fairley was a high school recruit coming out of Mobile, a lot of people thought he was an offensive tackle. So hmm. <laughs> there, there you go. Um, so that's my concern. You know, and, and then, you know, my other – my final concern about them – uh, would be that they do have two new coordinators. And Jim Chaney, for as much consternation and angst as he calls the Georgia faithful at times, I think Jim Chaney was a hell of a play caller for their personnel. If you look at some of their games, and it's not universe, I know some games maybe people were upset about it, but you kind of look at what he did, and he did a really good job there. 
And James Coley, uh, who's replacing him, he's, he's a little more of an up-tempo guy. He was the OC at Miami under Al Golden. Um, I, I do think he has more to work with at Georgia than he did at Miami. But, uh, you know, that's – you know, you, you got to kind of think about all that. You know, if, if you don't have receivers uh, – and I do think Georgia's talented there. But if you don't have receivers – and Fromm can't, you know, the passing game kind of sputters and the play calling maybe is cattywampus and then you don't have a defensive line, I don't care how much talent you have. I've never seen a team win a national championship with, you know, because of that. I mean, you know, and, and I'm not predicting that for Georgia. I'm just saying that, you know, I, I think it's fine to go ahead and crown them for the East because until a team from the East comes within two touchdowns of them, that's, a, that's no contest. Uh, I do think that Georgia fans should celebrate winning three in a row because nobody's done that, not the, not the mighty Florida Gators, not anybody in 23 years. But I think you want to crown them fine with that. But national championship or bust? I mean, you know, let's see if Georgia, through the great recruiting they've done, can have some young players step up. You can place them in there. And these, these concerns that people have um, and the people that really follow it have – won't be concerns once the season starts, once they get to that Notre Dame game. I think that's going to be really big for them because I've seen Notre Dame come to town against good but flawed SEC football teams and cut them. I saw it happen to Tennessee a few years back, and it wasn't even a good Notre Dame team. They came into Knoxville. I think that Tennessee team maybe won 10 games, and Notre Dame cut them. Um, You know, I I personally think Georgia will beat them by about three touchdowns, but – you know, if they are, if, if these questions are not answered and there are flaws, then Notre Dame could go cut them. I mean, I can't rule it out. That That's just, that's my take on Georgia right now. Um, I love their fans. I have a lot of friends that are Georgia fans. I hope, I hope they get the national championship. I, I really do. Um, you know, in, at some point soon. But, but I think that, you know, when you look at the, the teams and you look at like the concerns, then I think we we have to see if those questions are answered, you know, training camp, first of the season, Notre Dame game, whenever, before we can start talking about them as a legitimate, you know, national championship type contender, or like a team that could take down Clemson or, or Alabama. Yeah, I'm not putting them in that category either. Um, look, I think Georgia fans are going to have to continue to live with the the daunting memory of two things. Second down and 26, and a fake punt that should have never been called. And and those two things, you could say, cost Georgia a national championship one year and an SEC championship over Alabama uh, another year. Now, they've already got an SEC championship. So, I mean, for those that want to say, oh, it's the same old hype on Georgia and We've heard this before, and they're still living in the Herschel Walker era, blah, 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 blah. You, you can't take all that away. For, I mean, Kirby has already, in a short amount of time, done things that the previous coaches in Athens simply didn't do. I mean, he's he has made them a national contender. I don't think they're going to be in the national championship game this year. I could be wrong. Um, but there's no question the progress is being made. and And Kirby... If you, if you could take away a couple of mistakes, he's the closest to anybody other than Clemson that has had Alabama's number. And you watch those games, that SEC championship game, which they essentially gave away last year. There was 
plenty of question marks as to who the better team was. The problem for me is I think Georgia's best teams might be the last two years. I don't know if this team, for some of the reasons you just mentioned, is quite as good as it was a year ago. They lost a lot of good wide receivers. Uh, they lost a tight end that never lived up to the billing, but Isaac Nauta, uh probably could have a 10-year NFL career. He just he got in the doghouse, no pun intended, early and, and seemed to stay there. But um, I, I just, in, in a day and age where you've got to not only be really, really, really good to win a national title, you also got to be a little bit lucky. Uh, Georgia had two grand opportunities, and second and 26 with a quarterback coming off the bench, who's now a household name, but he certainly wasn't then in Tua, and a, a fake punt with Justin Fields, and whatever the heck that was uh, last year. Those are two things that can haunt you, not just during an, an offseason, but they can haunt you for a decade if you don't actually take home a national championship. But I, I, I think I think right now they're, they have set the bar for what everybody else wants to be in the East anyway. And we'll see if Florida continues to progress under Dan Mullen. Uh, we'll see if, if Will Muschamp can turn a corner, although I don't think it's going to be this year in terms of wins and losses, not with that schedule. You give South Carolina Missouri schedule, and now we're talking. <laughs> but that's just not the case. Uh, you can't control those things for the most part. And then Tennessee, I, I do think, and, and I, I was the first one to tell you, I, I had some cynicism about Jeremy Pruitt. Uh, to me, Jeremy Pruitt's qualifications were not unlike Will Muschamp's when he got the Florida job. We all know that did not exactly work in Gainesville. Uh, Jeff Driscoll was a big part of that and some other factors. It just didn't work out. Uh, for Jeremy Pruitt, you know, they lose to Vanderbilt to knock him out of bowl eligibility and go five and seven. That's that stung. But they've got a quarterback in Garantano now. I, I'm, I'm okay with Garantano at, at quarterback. I like their receivers. I like their skilled players. They just got to figure out – the two programs that we're talking about moving up the ranks other than Missouri are also two of the programs that have the biggest questions on the O-line, and, and that's Tennessee, who couldn't block anybody last year, one of the worst offensive lines in the SEC in a while, uh, and that's Barrett Jones, who, who ha- offered that opinion when we did one of their games together, and he breaks them down on film as much as anybody, uh, and Florida, another team that's not dominant on the offensive line, so uh, if you're going to go ahead and catapult to that next level, it certainly helps if you have a formidable offensive line. I'm not sure if either one of those uh, programs have it right now. But yeah, it, I, I'll say this: Tennessee needs Trey Smith to be healthy and to play this year. Mm-hmm. He has had blood yes. clot issues. Uh, otherwise, it looks like they're going to start a pair of five-star true freshmen at offensive tackle. Uh, that's scary. Offensive tackle is a developmental position, folks. I don't care how many stars you have by your name. It's rare that a guy's going to step in and be ready to roll. Um, now, Garantano, if you look at the advanced analytics, he's really good under pressure. Um, didn't turn it over a whole lot, and they do have good receivers. But, yeah, I mean, the offensive line for those two teams, that, that's going to that's be something to kind of consider. So to the west we go. Uh, things are a little bit more competitive here. Right. Because, I mean, you've got Bama and everybody and their grandmother is going to pick Alabama. Uh, maybe somebody from the uh, Baton Rouge Gazette is going to pick LSU. But for the most part, the, when the vote comes down later today, it's going to be convincingly George in the east, Alabama in the west. But you do have LSU and you do have Texas A&M 
and you do have mercurial Auburn and then Mississippi State is a team you don't want to play but you don't actually think they're going to win the West anytime soon and then there's Ole Miss and Arkansas that that they've got work to do but you could make the case that one through five it's as good a division as anyone as any division in football and so from that standpoint it is interesting and and of course we, we've never gone into one of these things where Alabama not only didn't win the national championship, but they got housed. <laughs> they got taken to the woodshed in front of everybody on the biggest stage of the national championship game. Now, you can look at that one of two ways. You could sit there and say, well, it was a good run, but finally some programs a la Clemson and Georgia have caught up to Alabama. It's no longer Alabama's stage to dominate. Or you could look at it as Alabama is still Alabama. Alabama probably had Nick Saban's least favorite coaching staff in the history of his tenure in Tuscaloosa. And it has been resolved. He has gone ahead and made his hires. And he's got guys in there now who he believes are not looking for their next opportunity, but will be focused at the task at hand, not just in September and October, but all the way through the national championship game. And if you add all that up, plus a first-rounder Heisman Trophy candidate at quarterback, your typical dominating line of scrimmage play that Alabama possesses, and the best defensive mind maybe in the history of college football in Nick Saban, then there's really no reason to believe Alabama's going anywhere and they've got some extra fire in their belly. You can go to one of those two camps. I lean toward the second. I don't think Alabama is falling off their perch. That look, they I don't care if they lost by 50 in the national championship game. When a game gets away, it gets away. And I was surprised to see I, this first time I've ever seen Nick Saban and his staff look desperate with some of their play calls in that championship game, including an ill-advised fake punt. But I don't think Clemson is actually 30 points better than Alabama uh, last year, this year, the year after. I think Alabama is once again going to be one of those teams, one of the very few in the uh, cabal, as you like to call it, JC, the uh, the duopoly, oligarchy, whatever you want to call it, that is college football, where very few teams legitimately have a chance of winning it all. To me, Alabama is still right there, and they're still very much worthy of the discussion of are they the team to beat. I, I agree. I, I think Alabama also has a favorable schedule with the exception of having to go to Auburn at the end of the year because, as we've seen, you know sometimes Auburn is good and, and beats Alabama. <laughs> we've seen it. Um, I think they got a favorable schedule. I think, you know, a lot of the guys off last year's team are back. Um, you know, there was some concern about that secondary, especially during the playoff games. Um you know, Oklahoma actually, after Bama jumped on them like that, Oklahoma actually had some success throwing it. Kyler Murray did and running it. And then Trevor Lawrence and those receivers from Clemson just torched them in the championship game. I mean, that, that's the worst I've ever seen a Nick Saban uh, coach secondary play. But but I also don't want to take anything away from Clemson. You know, Clemson recruited these guys. Um you know, and and think about this. Nick Saban was asked about Trevor Lawrence after the game, and uh, may, I think maybe even at media days or at a press conference recently, and he, he said, look, I've known all about Trevor Lawrence for a long time. He's a great player. Um, you know, that's the bottom line. Trevor Lawrence is from Cartersville, Cartersville, Georgia. Last time I checked, you know, that's close to Knoxville. 
that's in the state of Georgia, which we know from living here, Mike, Bulldog country. Sure. We also know that Alabama recruits Georgia really heavily. All of those schools offered Trevor Lawrence, but you know what? Because of the groundwork Dabo Sweeney laid, Clemson, after they had their breakthrough year in 2015, they were able to go get him out of Georgia. Okay, let's let's, let's go up to Knoxville, Tennessee. We'll go right up 75. T. Higgins, five-star receiver, uh, all-world guy. Normally, where would he be going to school? The University of Tennessee which claimed to be wide receiver university, and then Clemson kind of went up there and took two of their best guys. Um, so, you know, Clemson, again, laying the groundwork, going and recruiting, you know, and, and, and they're able to win those battles. Clemson, Clemson would win a, C, a battle for like a C.J. Spiller or a Deshaun Watson who they got committed way early uh, every now and then. But if you look at that first championship team, there are a bunch of guys that were three, a high three, low four, a couple of five-star guys from the Carolinas and Georgia that went out there and beat the almighty tide. Well, once you get to that point, then you can start going and picking guys off from people's backyard. Let's talk about Travis Etienne. You know where he's from? Louisiana. Under normal circumstances, where would he be going? LSU. LSU. Uh, I mean, you know, so, so you look at, I mean, and, and I'll add a, four, a, a final one and a guy that dominated against his home state school, Justin Ross, where is he from? A little place called Phoenix City, Alabama. Mm. Um, so normally, where would he be going? Alabama or Auburn? Okay, and 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 Alabama was his. You know, Alabama thought they had him, and then Clemson got him. You know, so, so you look at it like that, Mike, and and you start to kind of see. You know, it, it gets back to recruiting when you when you're the Tigers, and and, and they're doing it differently now than they did it to build it because you can't go realistically. You know, unless you're Ole Miss under Hugh Freeze, <laughs> you can't realistically go and take five stars out of power teams' backyards, you know, w- when you're not winning national championships. And-, and I think that's the key to the continued success for Clemson is to do that. And we always talk about how the Florida schools are struggling and not the same as they used to be. Well, we'll go go look at the guys from South Florida – and the rest of that state that are on the roster at Alabama right now. Jerry Judy comes to mind. Calvin Ridley was from down there. Amari Cooper was from down there. Normally those guys would be at the U in Gainesville or in Tallahassee, but they're not. So, so, so people kind of wonder about it like that. It's all about recruiting. Now, you asked me, and you mentioned you said, you don't, you don't think Clemson's 28 points better than Alabama. I think they were on that night. I think that kind of shows you that, you know, a lot of times a talented team, if they're not prepared, um, can get beat like that by, by a less talented team. I don't know how much less talented Clemson was than Alabama last year, but, you know, stack them up player to player. I'd still give the advantage to the Crimson Tide. Um, and, and, and I, but I don't, I don't want to take anything away from, from what Clemson accomplished because, you know, we talked all year about their schedule, and it sucked. Don't get me wrong. And you look back and you say, well, they played two SEC teams and, and gave up like 900 yards passing combined against those two, and they escaped A&M with two points. And then, you know, South Carolina hung 600 yards on them. How good can they be? Well, they were just like the Oklahoma and Nebraska teams that used to play in the in the bad Big Eight, you know, how you'd have one game a year. And you'd see these scores on Saturday, you know, uh, Oklahoma 77, Iowa State 8, and it's in Ames. 
you know, <laughs> back in the big eight days. That's exactly what they did. They were just like that. And, and, and it, you know, I think it kind of caught Alabama off guard, but I also do think they were as good as advertised. Now, is that going to be the case this year? No, because I think, um, I think Nick Saban, when, when he has a, he has problems to solve, he is at his best. He is much more of a fixer and a builder than a maintainer, even though he's been very consistent. I think he's sort of been inventing problems to fix at Alabama, uh, and that's kept everybody sharp and focused. But um, when he has years, uh, when when things don't go well, um, especially at the end, he usually comes back with a vengeance. And, and, and I think that that's why I would have Bama definitely in the top two and the overwhelming favorite to win the SEC this season. I'll give you the stats since you brought Clemson into the conversation. And I stumbled upon this uh, today, actually this morning that really speaks to what Nick Saban has had to do. And no one's going to cry tears for Nick Saban, right? Nobody's going to break out the violin for Nick Saban, but let, let me give you one stat that is a major difference between Alabama and Clemson and the difference between what Nick Saban has had to overcome versus what Dabo has had to overcome in the last four years. Alabama has had 22, 22 assistant coaching changes, several of those coordinators, by the way, 22 assistant coaching changes in four years. Want to know how many Clemson's had in that same time frame? Two. Two. So the continuity of Dabo's staff, the highest paid defensive coordinator, I think he's still the highest paid, uh, he probably should be, uh, and, and Coach Venables, uh, and you you go up and down the line. I mean, they have they have constructed this this hierarchy that everybody knows that you look around the coaches' offices and they don't have to keep changing the nameplates every twelve months. And I, I, you know, obviously the advantages that has in recruiting, but I think the biggest advantage where that showed up in that championship game was on the field. Uh, you had a you had a Mike Loxley who's already looking at his opportunity at Maryland. Uh, offensively, they were completely out of sorts. And granted, Tua certainly was not 100%. Um, I think a lot of people who lost faith in Tua will regain it this year when he's healthy. But, but I mean, people were talking about Mike Loxley like he was a coaching genius. I mean, Mike Loxley was 3-31 and 31 at New Mexico. So <laughs> <laughs> Mike Loxley was not exactly like this. I know people say he's an RPO genius. Okay, uh, maybe. I, they'll be fine without Mike Loxley. Sarkeesian will be just fine. Anybody you plug and play in there is going to do fine as long as Nick Saban's the coach and they have that kind of talent. But to have some continuity, I think Nick Saban now – realizes he can't just do it all on his own. He's got to have guys that are going to be there for more than a couple of years before they skip town. And then you've got to hit the reset button and you've got to implement another personality and another playbook that has to change. And I don't think Nick Saban has ever been less fond of a defensive coordinator than the one he had last year. Oh God. Uh, that was just a, I've got that on good, um, good authority, good authority. Yeah. That was, and, and you know, that was a uh, Tosh Lupoy, great recruiter. Don't know why the Brown, don't know why he's in the NFL now, but uh great recruiter as far as convincing kids to come to school, not, and a pretty good defensive line coach, but uh coordinator, uh, uh, yeah. it was, it was not meant to be. And, and, and while, while every defensive coordinator works within the confines of Nick Saban's philosophy and system, at some point, Nick just has to turn th- some things over. He's not sitting there and calling every defensive play. He's not calling every blitz. He's not, 
he he needs help as good as Nick Saban is. Okay, and he's on the Mount Rushmore of college football head coaches all time. He needs help, and I think he's going to get more of it this year mm-hmm. than he did last. And I think you're going to see coaches. He's going to only make hires of guys that are going to be there for a while, and Alabama will pay the kind of money. I mean, Steve Sarkeesian. I don't think I don't see any value in him being a head coach somewhere else. I'm sure he could get a job at like Illinois or something, but I mean, he's not going to be a hot commodity like some of the other guys that he's mm-hmm. had. And that's what Nick Saban needs. He needs guys that are good coaches that are not sitting there and constantly on line two with their agent going, how can I get a head coaching job and get the heck out of here? Cause I'm tired of being a coordinator. Yeah. That's what he needs. And I'll say this, that the, all right. So Pete Golding is defensive coordinator. And, and this is a, uh, this guy like came from Texas, San Antonio, right? The Roadrunners. Yeah, man. To Bama. Okay. I think it was, te- it, was either, it was either Texas San Antonio, maybe Texas. I mean, it was one no, of No, you're right. UTSA. I think it was Texas San Antonio. Okay. He's there like two years and everybody loves him. And now he's the coordinator. I- I'll say this. I think because he hasn't been at Bama that long, he will be a guy that's there for a while. But I also think he's a rising star in coaching. People always right. ask me, who are the next guys? Pete Golding. Alabama defensive coordinator. He's going to have his own program someday. You're right about Sark. They rehired Sal Sanceri. They hired Kyle Flood, the former head coach at Rutgers, as the O-line coach. I mean, you know, those guys are going to kind of stay. And you you mentioned Clemson, and let me tell you the uh, the genius of Dabo, okay? And we talked about the Trevor Lawrence thing last year on this podcast after Kelly Bryant was benched, and they went with Trevor. Bryant transferred. Dabo took heat. And I said, and I think you agreed with me, this is not about beating Syracuse on Saturday. This is about beating Alabama in January. Because Absolutely. Trevor with one game, you know, you put him in late like two, like Saban did with two of the year before, chances are at that point you don't think you're beating Bama. But Trevor after 10 games, definitely. <laughs> you, you know, do, you know what? We, we were, that, that wasn't as slam dunk as people think. Dabble took a lot of heat. I was reading Twitter. There were some people that acted like their dog just got shot because Kelly Bryant lost the starting job. They took it personally for whatever reasons. Mm -hmm. Uh, This was clearly, (laughs) it wasn't an easy decision to make, but it was the right decision to make. And, and there were some people that I think were waiting for Trevor Lawrence to fail. You heard things like golden boy or those are the kind of terms people use when they're, they're hoping that person fails. When you hear somebody call a coach a genius in kind of a sarcastic, derisive tone, they're hoping they fail. When somebody says the golden boy quarterback, they're hoping that they fail. Um, there are a lot of people that were hoping that the move that Dabo made was going to fail and that it was he was too smart for his own good. And he went with some kid that's just a true freshman over the guy that had earned his stripes. This this is not this is not. <laughs> this is not what's the expression, uh, Jerry Maguire. It's not show business. It's, it's show money. Whatever the case may be, I'm botching that left and right. Show me the money. Well, yeah, I mean, there's that too, but uh, I want to. I don't want an NCAA violation here. Ah. Um, but it, it, it's not about personal feelings. Like this is not little league. We're not giving out orange slices after the game. You've got a once in a generation quarterback. Trevor Lawrence has come once every twenty years. Mm-hmm. You got to play him, and he knew that that was the guy that could help beat Alabama, and it, it turned out, it turned out as good as it possibly could turn out. Well, yeah, and when are you going to have uh, four first round draft picks on your defensive line? 
Right. Um, now they ended up with three because Lawrence got suspended because of the Osterine thing. But, uh, you know, when are you going to have that again? I mean, you know, they were set up to win it last year. They just had to figure out a way to get past Alabama. And quite frankly, Kelly Bryant wasn't the guy to get them, get them past that, you know? I mean, and I think, you know, I think it was the genius. Let me just tell you what else the genius of Dabo is. We talked about Clemson's staff, okay? Eight of the ten full-time assistants on Dabo Sweeney's staff at Clemson either have direct ties to Dabo from Alabama, i.e. they were teammates of his, they were there when he was an assistant. Um, there's two, uh, you know, Lemansky Hall, Mickey Kahn, both played with Dabo. Todd Bates, I think, was there when Dabo was an assistant. Or they're Clemson graduates or South Carolina natives. And that's the entire offensive staff. Jeff Scott, Clemson grad. Tony Elliott, Clemson grad. Danny Pierman, Clemson grad. Robbie Caldwell from Page on South Carolina. He was he worked for Bobby Johnson at Vanderbilt for years in Furman and NC State. He He's home. You know, their offensive line coach, he's home. Brandon Streeter, their quarterback's coach, Clemson grad. Okay. Um, also, six of the ten full-time assistants currently are in their first job at a Power 5 school. There are only four guys that had coached previously at a Power 5 school. Danny Pierman, the tight ends coach, who's kind of a journeyman. He's been all over the ACC. Brent Venables, of course. Mike Reed, the secondary coach. And then Robbie Caldwell, who was at Vandy. This is not the resume staff that he's put together. And this shows you that a lot of times it's not necessarily about the guy with the big rep or the big resume. It's about the right fit. And, you know, why would you not stay in Clemson, South Carolina, if you're a Clemson graduate, like say you're Tony Elliott or Jeff Scott, you're making over a million a year. The wife and kids are happy. It's a great place to live. You're right there on the lake. You're at your school. You're winning championships. You got the path of least resistance. <laughs> um, why would you go take a job where you'd beat your head against the wall uh, rather than waiting for something like, oh, I don't know, maybe Florida State in a couple of years or something? You, you, you hit my point. My, my, one of my favorite terms when it comes to coaching jobs and weighing options and everything else, path of least resistance, right? I always talk about that, and people just don't want to look at that necessarily but think about this and i'm not here to bag on the acc this is not you know we're not waving the flag uh sec is is great and everybody else sucks that's that's not the the point of this podcast but here's another number i stumbled upon to give you an idea path of least resistance with all due respect to the uh, other 13 institutions that play college football in the acc we all we all saw at least some of the NFL draft, right, or at least read about it or what have you. And you see, I mean, it's just chock full of SEC players every year, and SEC leads the way every year. And it's that's like that's become ad nauseum. You just expect it. There's no need to like even regurgitate it. Blah 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 blah. But here's something on the ACC. Eight of the fourteen teams in the ACC in this past NFL draft, eight of the four over half had one or fewer players drafted in the NFL. So, I mean, you, you got Alabama that's got like 10, right? You've got Georgia that's got like, I don't know, seven. I'm just spitting numbers off the top of my head. A&M's got a, but even the teams in the lower third, Kentucky's getting guys drafted. Kentucky had six guys drafted. Kentucky had six guys drafted. And I'm here to tell you Vanderbilt this year, they've got a, and I, I'm not talking like seventh round picks here. Uh, Kayshawn Vaughn, running back, 
going to be a high draft pick. Pickney, the tight end, going to be a high draft pick. Lipscomb, the wide receiver, going to be a high draft pick. That's Vanderbilt I'm talking about. And those are three, and they're all offensive, by the way. Typically, in the past, guys that were drafted out of Vanderbilt, Sands, Jay Cutler, were on the defensive side. You know, Vandy was a team that was woeful on offense, but they were scrappy and always had some guy that slipped through the cracks, a, a two or three star that turned into an NFL guy on, on defense. So, it, it, if you're Clemson, uh, especially with Florida State going through a down cycle, and Miami kind of in limbo and Virginia Tech going through a down cycle. I mean, talk about path of least resistance. Mm-hmm. They, they are as talented year in and year out now as anybody in America, and they play in a league that technically is power five but doesn't nearly stack up to what they have going on in the SEC right now. Yeah. So, And as long as there's a, a four-team playoff, it's good. I mean, we saw last year because Notre Dame, which plays five ACC teams a year, and we, I think we all saw Notre Dame was not as good, you know, as we maybe thought. But, you know, in normal years, going to Blacksburg and beating the Hokies by 20 is impressive. In normal years, beating Florida State behind, you know, by 31 points is impressive. Um, you know, last year was it? No. And, and you got some things to brew it in the ACC. And I, I want to say this for you ACC fans out there. Number one, you do have the ACC network. It does launch. Um Number two, Florida State's not going to be down forever. I think they'll be pretty good on offense this year. But if they, if they don't come back, they're going to fire Willie Taggart, and you're going to get a good coach. I mean, that, that's the bottom line. It's too good of a program. Mm-hmm. You know, number three, the days of Syracuse and Boston College and Virginia and NC State I mean, the, the, and, and Duke, those are teams that have risen because teams that should be great. Because, number one, they have good coaches. Dino Babers, uh, Bronco Mendenhall, Steve Adazio, they've got good coaches. Um I would say Dave Dorn, but I want to see how he does without Eli Drinkwitz as an offensive coordinator this year for NC State. Um, but, but you know, realistically, North Carolina, Miami, Virginia Tech, Georgia Tech even, you know, those are the schools that have been great in football before that should be great in football. Um, Louisville can even make an argument, I think, you know, because of their success the past two decades, starting with – or three, starting with Howard Schnellenbarger. Um, they're all down. Louisville is a massive rebuild. And now Scott Satterfield will probably get it done, but it's a massive rebuild. Georgia Tech is a massive rebuild right now. Mm-hmm. North Carolina, I looked at their roster today. I don't they're young and undersized, and they're gonna start a true freshman at quarterback. Matt Brown's recruiting really well, but they're a rebuild. You know, Virginia Tech, as much as we like Justin Fuente and thought he was a great fit for the job. You know, they've got some personnel issues they have to solve. You know, Miami just hired, you know, Manny Diaz as their new coach. They've probably got more talent than anybody in that division. But, you know, they've won one division title since they joined the dang league. And this is the you we're talking about. You know, so, yeah, I mean, do I think Clemson's success fundamentally is a function of a weak conference? No, because Clemson went through that conference in 2016 when that conference was as good as I've ever seen it ever before. Ever top and and that year 2016 was not a good year in the SEC. I think if you matched them up and played a like a, a challenge or whatever, the ACC would have beaten the SEC that year. But since then, the bottom has fallen out, and you know it, it has nothing to do with Clemson. They're taking care of businesses and uh, what they're supposed to do. But yeah, path of least resistance, Mike. Uh, that's why I think the SEC East jobs 
or, or better jobs than the SEC West jobs because and I'm not saying like Kentucky's better than a Texas A&M job. That's not true, but uh, you know that's why a lot of coaches. That's why Dan Mullen probably would have taken Tennessee had he not gotten Florida because you've got one team to knock off. And when Dan Mullen went to Florida, quite frankly, yeah, I mean, when Dan Mullen goes to Florida and, you know, you got one team to, to knock off. And at the time, Georgia was just kind of a one-year deal and hadn't dominated like that. But, you know, you, you, you don't have, you know, Auburn, LSU, Bama, A&M, and then a very solid Mississippi State group. And, you know, Ole Miss and Arkansas will, you know, regardless of – you know, how Chad Morris and Matt Luke ultimately, they're going to go get a new coach, and they have talent and stuff like that. So uh, I agree with you. I think it's uh, it's very interesting, the dynamic. As much as Bama and Clemson have sucked the oxygen out of the room for all of college football, there is no doubt Clemson sucked the oxygen out of the room for ACC football. No, there's – there, yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, right, it's, it's almost – it reminds me a little bit when SEC basketball was really down before they've had this resurgence – uh, and it was Kentucky and everybody else, right? And Kentucky could just, you know, pick their record, 16-0, 18-0, 17-1, uh, particularly when Florida took a step back. That that was the case. Well, it didn't mean Kentucky was any worse of a program just because they played in a league that was down. It, just like it, the ACC could be god-awful, and I'm not saying it is, but let's just say hypothetically it is. It doesn't matter. Clemson is still – they are basically playing SEC football in the ACC, and so they've they've got that luxury right now. And then they only have to break a sweat a few weekends of the year. I mean, they're going to be, my goodness. I mean, Alabama won every SEC game last year by about three touchdowns. Clemson can pick their score in more than half their conference games this year. So, talk about anticlimactic. The ACC media days is going on as well. I don't know why they do it the same week as the SEC. I don't know why the Big Twelve does it the same week. You're you're asking to be lost in the shuffle a little bit, but that's the way they do it. But I can't wait to see what what great themes and storylines are coming up with in the ACC this year, because there just aren't that many folks. I mean, you're you're just it's like Clemson, and it's will Willie Taggart get fired in his second year as head coach, which is just about unprecedented without a major scandal, uh, and. You know the new coaches can can they do anything to kind of jumpstart their programs? By the way, this is this is unorthodox. First time in as long as I can remember, maybe about a decade. No no new coaches in the SEC. Mm-hmm. Fourteen guys that went to the podium are all guys we recognize. Uh, and really, if it, one of the favorite topics this time of year, again, good talk show fodder. Who's on the hot seat? Well. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, there's not many. I mean, because I mean, you would Derek Mason at Vanderbilt, but but you could I, do that every year. Well, and, and, and I don't think. I mean, the guy's been to two bowl games yeah, at Vandy, and I think he gets better and better every season. You know, I, I do too. I, I, I don't think Derek Mason should be on the hot seat. No, I, mean, I, I think considering where Vandy is and what the expectations are. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think he, he should be up for other jobs. To be honest with you, and he might be. I mean, if he can, if he can. You know, if he could just have one James Franklin type year, mm-hmm. uh, if he could just somehow get get a nine win season. But again, this is a different Eastern Division. I don't see that happening. But I, I mean, I look around the programs that are going to have uh, predictably the worst records are the ones with the new coaches. Now, you could say Matt look at Matt Luke at Ole Miss, uh, but again, I, I I label him as part of the good vibe three. Mm-hmm. Uh, Coach Odom at Missouri, Matt Luke at Ole Miss. And you could even make the case Coach O at LSU. 
Uh, these are guys that might not have the best reputations or long track records as successful head coaches. There's a lot of cynicism uh, in the air, perhaps with all three, but they all give you good vibes. So like they're going to get the benefit of the doubt. Uh, Gold Tigers. Uh, he's definitely going to get the benefit of the doubt. But you, but but I will say this: you you better at some point, Coach O, beat Alabama or at least be more competitive with Alabama, uh, or all those good vibes can go down the toilet quickly. But I don't think the I think the vibes with Matt Luke. I mean, he took over a mess. Uh, they couldn't defend anybody at all last year. They got two new coordinators. How about Rich O? By the way, uh, excuse me, Rich O. Rich R. Rich Rodriguez. Remember that name? Remember the guy who. Uh, yeah. The inventor of the zone read, some would tell you, he he's he's now the new OC at Ole Miss. Rich Rod, I mean, there was that's a guy whose stock was as high as any coach in America for a while, and now he's just happy to be the OC at Ole Miss. I'm gonna take you back to December of 2006, Mike, and uh, the late Mal Moore. I hope Mal Moore did. Mal Moore passed away, right? The former Alabama AD that hired. I- Hired Nick Saban. So. I'm pretty sure he did. The late, great Mal Moore, who's responsible for Nick Saban being at Alabama, after Saban and Steve Spurrier turned that job down after they fired Shula, they were there was a 24-hour period where Rich Rodriguez was the next coach at Alabama. Right. And then he backed out and went to stayed at West Virginia. He was a WV. He's a West Virginia guy, you know. And um, <laughs> the next year. They have Pat White and that great team they have. They're in the Big East. They're 11-0. The next year was a wild year, 2007. Remember, LSU won the national title with two losses. And they play Pitt at home, coached by the Wanstash, right? The Wanstash. They play Pitt at home in late November with the nation's most high-powered offense. And remember, two years before, they had cut Georgia and the Sugar Bowl and all this. Everybody's like, West Virginia this and West Virginia that and Zone Reed. They lost at home 13-9 to to Pitt in the backyard mm-hmm. brawl. It cost them a shot at the title that year, which I, I think if they played Ohio State in the national championship game, they would have won just as much as LSU did. And uh, then he takes the Michigan job, and then that doesn't work out. And then he goes to Arizona, wins the Pac-12 South, but then goes promptly 2-10 and 10 and then had some off-the-field stuff and got fired. So, yeah, it's been kind of a, a long uh, career uh, he, for him. If, if he were a stock, he'd be Bitcoin, right? I mean, there was a time that everybody wanted a piece of Bitcoin, and now, from what I'm told, and I'm not in the market, uh, you're, you're going to have a hard time selling to your best buddy, Bitcoin at a high price. I know there's no doubt about it, but I'll say this. He does have a lot of head coaching experience. If something goes south and Ole Miss is god-awful and uh, they have to fire Matt Luke midseason like a lot of schools do, Rich Rod or, Mac- your interim. or, or McIntyre, who, yeah. who also won a Pac-12 South That's right. at Colorado. Um, can, he's the defensive coordinator. They can step right in. So... You know, I, I don't know. I think sometimes young coaches do need guys like that around them. I, I like Matt Luke a lot. I think he's a great guy, and he loves Ole Miss. And, you know, we'll, we'll see. He's got to rebuild it now because they lost all that offensive talent. and I mean, a lot of offensive talent. And yeah. I don't think their defense is going to be that great either. But, uh, 
you know, we'll see what happens. But yeah, that's the that's the feel good bunch right there. Uh, Ed O, Barry O, and Matty Luke. The good vibe three, my I mean, man. That's... If, you, if you could see them really standing in front of like some tassels with like a like a t- all tuxes on doing a oh yeah yes. Like, hey, no, now ladies and gentlemen, I like to I'd like to introduce uh, our lead singer, Matty Luke. <laughs> and then he just comes out and he's like, oh. Stay. I can't get I, as high as the four t- four seasons anymore. So. Well, Matt Luke can't get as high as you, so you, you, oh, you're well. you, you're even. <laughs> Maybe he's the guy on the bass guitar, and Ed, Ed Orgeron or Barry Odom's probably the lead singer. I would guess. I think Barry O, yeah, and I think he'd look the best in a in a tux. And by the way, I I say they're the the good vibe three, not only because their fan bases love them and so desperately want them to do well. I think your average media folk like us and just people in general, we all like these guys. Like I've been critical of Ed Orgeron and I'm not, I'm still not sure he's a great head football coach, but I like him. I, I'm pulling for him. I think he's great. He's one of the few guys we've lost the, the great personalities. There are no Steve Spurriers that, that uh, go to the podium anymore at SEC media days. There are no more Lou Holtz's. Uh, we just, we just, it, they're all just kind of, cut out of the same cookie cutter mold in terms of uh, cliches and what they're going to say and what they're not going to say. So to have a guy like coach O who just, <laughs> there's just something about him. I can't help it. When he goes up there, I chuckle and, and I'm entertained just to hear him talk like him, Matt Luke. I've done a number of old miss games the last few years, extremely likable guy, coach Odom, extremely likable guys. I, I hope they all are successful, but uh, I don't know. Just just capping off the West before we close shop here. I think uh, clearly LSU is a story. I mean, the, the, the biggest question is, are they finally going to run a 21st century offense? And all indications are yes. And Coach O was asked that question, and it's almost like he had to say, uh, guys, uh, no no BS here. I'm, I'm, I'm not kidding. We all going to throw the football and we all going to spread it. And we all going to go away from two tight ends and two backs. He, they're actually Joe going, Burrow. yeah, Joe, Joe Burrow. <laughs> and Joe Burrow is, is talented enough where they can open it up. He's good. Uh, yeah. He, he's good quarterback and he can run. So, I mean, uh, that I, I think LSU has to evolve offensively and it sounds like they're actually going to do it. I know you've heard this before for like years, through several offensive coordinators, but LSU fans, you're finally going to be treated to an offense that resembles more of what you see other people run in the 21st century. Uh, that to me is the, the top story from the other programs out there. Can Jimbo Fisher continue to make progress at Texas A&M? Uh, everything says the way recruiting is going. You got to, uh, they, they rolled the dice on Mond last year, who a lot of us thought was not going to win the job. He did. Now Kellen Mond, Looks like a guy that could uh, be an all-conference type quarterback. You know, they've always got seems like a first rounder on the O line, a first rounder on the D line. There's no reason why Texas A&M can't consistently be good, even though for a hundred years it seems like we've been saying that and they haven't lived up to expectations. And then there's Auburn, and I've given up trying to predict what Auburn's going to be. I know one thing: Jarrett Stidham was not a fit for what Gus Malzahn uh, likes to do. And I know one other thing, Gus Malzahn is only a head coach at Auburn because of his play calling. So it only made sense that he's back to calling plays. You don't hire Gus Malzahn uh, because of his overwhelming personality and flair and 
leadership ability. Like you hire Gus Malzahn because that dude for a while was an innovator calling plays. So he's back calling plays. Auburn's going to have either Gatewood or Knicks that look more like a Gus Malzahn type quarterback. They have perhaps the best defensive line in the league. So Auburn, you cannot ignore Auburn. Every time you think you can ignore Auburn, they remind you, you cannot ignore Auburn. So Auburn is in the mix. And as far as Mississippi state last year under Joe Moorhead, uh, it, it wasn't good. It was, it was a major disappointment. Uh, they had a, a quarterback who I kept saying is just, he can't throw the ball. And, and at some point you've got to be able to throw the ball. Dix Fitzgerald is a great athlete, but he couldn't throw the football downfield and make plays. So now they're going to go and, and resemble more, uh, what Joe Moorhead was able to do at Penn State, and uh, the, the defense is not going to be as good, but it certainly will be will be formidable. And again, I look at Mississippi State, and I say this: it seems like almost every year, they're the team that nobody wants to play, but they're the team that you know is not actually going to win the West. So take that for what it's worth. But I but I think those are the top five teams uh, in what is very much to me the best division in college football, the SEC West. I tell you a story I'm looking for. You just mentioned uh, Kellen Mond, the guy that he beat out for that job. Nick Starkle is also at Arkansas. That's right. Along with Ben Hicks, and they're both eligible immediately. Ben Hicks, I think, is the one of the all-time leading passers in SMU history, if not the, uh, lit it up for Chad Morris there. And then Starkle, who a lot of people thought would be the starter at A&M. So Chad Morris goes from having no quarterbacks – to a full-blown quarterback battle. So, you know, looking at Ole Miss and looking at Arkansas and looking at Mississippi State, if Tommy Stevens or or whoever else the other quarterback is, I forget his name, uh, they can't run Moorhead's offense. Mississippi State lost enough on defense, Mike, to where you could see the two Mississippi schools finish below Arkansas. If Arkansas can, can get better quarterback play, which was not good last year, so um, I don't know that I would predict that, but I, I do think that um, I do think that these two guys are, are, are a step up for what Chad Morris wants to do. We, we all we know we talk about this all the time. Having a trigger man there is everything. You know, if you don't if you don't have a quarterback and you suck on both lines of scrimmage, you're not going to win a whole lot in college football, period, much less the SEC. Now, if you have those two, three things, good lines of scrimmage and a really good quarterback, then you have a chance. I'm not saying you're going to win a championship, but you have a chance to be pretty good. So that's a storyline, too, I'm watching for the West. Arkansas hasn't won an SEC home game in two years. Chew on that. I mean, that's they'll they'll break that streak this season. I, uh, I well, I agree. No, I agree. I and, and look, there, nothing nothing could convince me. I don't care if Arkansas lost every game last year by thirty points that Chad Morris uh, wasn't the right hire. I, I just last year was going to be what it was. Yeah, it was gonna, outside of Gus Malzahn, I don't think they could have made a better hire. Yeah, yeah, and, and I and I and I didn't expect them to do well last year, and they lived up to my expectations by by going two and ten but they'll be better this year like you said they've they've actually got a guy who can pull the trigger uh i don't think arkansas is ever going to be dominant on defense in this league 
Um, they have not been in a long, long time. And so they just, they have to overcome that and they have to win some shootouts. And Chad Morris has to just, uh, out scheme some people on offense and maybe they'll pull off some surprise wins this year. So that's kind of the story. Uh, I mean, the SEC, again, media days has kind of come and gone. And uh, as usual, there's no shocking revelations that come out. Um, it's, it's still the same two headed monster, but maybe we'll have some pleasant surprises. I mean, maybe there will be a team this year that that kind of spoils that that party for for those that have already booked their Alabama Georgia SEC championship date in Atlanta. Maybe somebody pops out and says, "Nope, uh, sorry, folks, we're gonna we're gonna change the narrative here." But until that happens, you're gonna see everybody and their grandmother expecting Alabama Georgia to meet once again. Hey, uh, speaking of things we can expect, we can always expect great customer service, quality, style, the perfect fit of trust and all of the above at BP Skinner. BP Skinner building their reputation on the perfect fit of all those things. And again, it's their privilege to provide you professional and individual attention to help create a wardrobe that distinctly identifies you and only you. And when you go with custom, you understand the difference between buying off the rack and custom. It is night and day. You will look better. You will feel better. And the great thing about it is if you're like me and so many others that don't want to go into a shopping mall or your typical department store, Brent Skinner is going to get in his car. He's going to get on a plane. He's going to come directly to you. He doesn't charge for that service. That's just something he does. That's why so many people across the country rely on Brent Skinner to look their very best. Go to the website, set up an appointment, bpskinnerclothiers.com. It's bpskinnerclothiers.com. And you can always dial them up as well at 803-661-7665. It's 803-661-7665. That's Brent Skinner and BP Skinner Clothiers. JC, some final thoughts as we tie a bow on another SEC Media Days week. Yeah, I, I want to let people know if you're um, if you're on Instagram, uh, a lot of the players and a few of the coaches uh, were out at SEC Media Days this week. We're outfitted by BP Skinner, so that's just right. Kind of that's right. Good throw call. that little plug out of there. You can see that all over Instagram, and you can follow their Instagram account at BP Skinner. Um, yeah, just looking forward to getting this thing cranked up. Want to remind our listeners, you can get us on iTunes, Google Play, the Stitcher app, just about anywhere you find podcasts. You can find the JC and Morgan College Football Podcast, of course, all over 24-7 sports and things like that as well. Um, yeah, just looking forward to getting this thing cranked back up, um, you know, weekly. Once the season really gets rolling and season starts, we'll probably try to shoot for weekly, I think, moving forward. Um you know, maybe starting in August or something. And uh, I just want to say thanks to everybody out there that's listening. This is one of the fastest-growing college football podcasts out there. Um, and we continue to grow it. We will continue to grow yeah. it as it goes yeah, forward. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, we've been so appreciative of, of the not only the numbers, and that's you know what, what so many of these things are judged on. And we've, we, we keep getting – we're growing by the thousands in terms of uh, followers and listeners. But just the, the, the quality aspect of the comments that you folks have about why you enjoy this particular one, I know there's, there's certainly plenty to choose from. Um, and we will uh, – don't worry, ACC, Big 12, Big 10, Pac-12 fans. We'll get into some of the other media days uh, on the next one. There's a lot of other stuff, big, big picture-wise, national stuff to talk about. Uh, heck, the uh, <laughs> the SEC officials even started their own Twitter account, so now you can <laughs> you can spew all your venom 
after that game changing call, it doesn't go your way. You can hit them up on, on their Twitter. I, I don't know if they're going to respond to you, but, um, I, I give them an a plus for, for transparency, I guess. So, uh, but there's a lot of things that, uh, we want to get into that we weren't able to get to today because of time. So we look forward to that as well. So in the meantime, for J.C. Sherbert, this is Mike Morgan saying so long for now. Thank you once again for listening in on another J.C. and Morgan podcast.